Welcome back to Virtuary with your host, Jonathan. And Kenny. And today we are diving into Top Gun Maverick. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's been like 36 years since the original came out, and it is a amazing sequel. It definitely stood up. Oh, absolutely. Top Gun, I watched the first one and then followed it right up with the second one because I'd say it was probably somewhere in the early 2000s or so when it was the last time I had seen just Top Gun. And so watching the first one, reabsorbing that entire experience, and then watching Top Gun Maverick, the whole time I felt just constantly on the edge of my seat, wondering how are they doing all this? How cool is all of this? The whole experience is just very adrenaline pushing, even from your couch or your recliner or the movie theater. The whole time, just awesome. I'd have to agree with that. I've seen it three times now, and each time new little details stand out and just enjoyable. Three times? Yes, I've seen this three times now. The movie came out in... May 27th of this year. Wow, we are a little behind. We're a little behind, but it's still relevant, especially since the streaming is to go live at the end of December. Yeah, that's fair. And truthfully, this movie, from what I've read, was actually done about two years ago, right at the start of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, Tom Cruise waited and argued with the studio that this needed to be on the big screen. And so that's why they waited so long before they released it. I don't blame them. This movie needed to be on the big screen just purely based on the visual effects that they did. And I say visual effects, not special effects, not CGI, because there was very minimal amounts of CGI and special effects involved. All of the flying was legit. And I only know that because you told me that at the beginning of your screening of the movie, it had a little blurb from Tom Cruise saying that, right? That is correct. And if you delve into a bit, it actually was, it's more than that. So yeah, all of the in cockpit scenes are real with the real actors performing them. But they're also having to do reshoots and adjust lighting and the camera themselves. Like they're doing a lot of their own cinematography because like they'll do their in-flight recording, they'll land, you know, see how it worked out and then have to go back up and redo it, making adjustments as they go. Which is insane to me. Okay, I have to give all of the actors on this film major props because of the intensity that i'm sure they went through in order to produce this production to have to learn how to fly these jets which i don't know what kind of strings they had to pull in order to make all that happen but either way they got to learn this process and then to go on and actually learn the process of cinematography and handling their own camera exposures and lighting sourcing and then also touching up their own makeup and doing all of that stuff just to go up into the air again to reshoot a scene is 
so crazy and so cool. I would never have expected something like that for a movie like this. The lengths we go to to have our movies have very realistic looking CGI and whatever else. The lengths we go to to be entertained, or rather the lengths other people go to to entertain us. Yeah. I've heard over the years that Tom Cruise is one hell of a daredevil. He really enjoys getting that adrenaline rush and doing some of the most wild and crazy things to give that experience of realism that you otherwise wouldn't get. But I also think that some of the stuff he's done in the past has been so daringly dangerous that it's a shock that he has not suffered some sort of incredible injury or worse. And thank you, Tom Cruise, for sticking your neck out there to do these insane things that I don't think anybody else has the cojones to do. (laughs) That's probably true. I do thank you, Tom Cruise, for entertaining us. I mean, what other actors are we aware of that have done some of the most insane stunts to the level that Tom Cruise has? I genuinely don't know the answer to that. It's something that I should probably research a bit now that I'm thinking about it. But do you know of any? There's a few off the top of my head, or at least one that I do know. I mean, they made a name out of doing their own stunts, and that would be Jackie Chan. And he has some movies where he, I want to say, hangs from a helicopter or jumps between them or something. I almost feel bad for not knowing that because Jackie Chan is one of my favorites. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, you have actors like Danny Trejo, who, you know, you would expect to do their own stunts, but they're on the record saying that there's people who are paid to do that. That's their job. Why would he try and take their job from them and endanger himself that would then potentially hurt his family if something were to happen to him? So I can kind of see both sides. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tom Cruise does bring something to the role when he does this kind of stuff. And he does bring these just larger-than-life movies to the screen. And they're quite enjoyable. And I'll go so far as to say, too, that the way that they decided to handle the filming of Top Gun Maverick, albeit is incredible, was also pretty risky in itself, too, considering all of these actors did learn how to fly and were flying these jets ridiculous speeds they had to go through all of the training that any other naval pilot would have to go through they had to learn how to handle the g-forces that they experience in those planes and all of that in itself is a risk there's a lot of risk involved and it shows in the first movie there was a stunt pilot named art shoal who was actually killed during the production of the movie when his Pitts S2 camera plane failed to recover from a flat spin and ended up in the Pacific Ocean. And what's really sad about it is they never found the plane or Scholl's body. The film itself ended up being dedicated to him, but it was a very obviously sad thing and a show of the actual risk involved with making a film like this where all the flying ends up being real. And so to have those actors up in the cockpit of those planes was something that could be argued as irresponsible for the sake of the safety of the actors involved. But either way, everybody came out 
ship shape and we got a really really kick-ass movie out of it that we did and on that note as always be aware we are going to spoil the shit out of this for you as we get into our review of top gun maverick and then delve into what we might have done differently yes indeed spoilers ahead here we go this movie picks up three decades after the first one we learn relatively early on in the film that Maverick was a Top Gun instructor for all of two months before they canned him. That's then, surprising. Right. Obviously, whatever kind of teaching style he had, they didn't really feel like it was the best because Maverick's always had that don't think, just do mentality, which can be dangerous, but it can also be, well, the movie tells it. So we're introduced to Maverick right off the bat. The movie actually opens very much the same as the first one. It gives you the brief overview of what Top Gun is, and then it gives us the opening credits with Top Gun Maverick instead of just Top Gun. And then it kicks off into introducing us to Maverick early in the morning. He's now a U.S. Navy test pilot, and they're getting ready to run a mock test on the hypersonic Dark Star scramjet. And they jump in there to get ready for this test flight when they find out that Rear Admiral Chester Kane, a.k.a. Hammer, is actually en route to shut the program down and redirect the funds to a different military program altogether. Well, as we all know, Maverick's not one to just sit back, kick his feet up, and accept what's coming. He's going to do what he wants to do. So they get the plane together, prep it, runway it, and up into the air he goes, right as the rear admiral is rolling up, and we see this really awesome shot of the plane coming off the runway, and going right over the Admiral's car, right next to the like security booth. And that was awesome because the actual roof lifted off of the frame of the building and came back down. And apparently that wasn't supposed to happen. Completely it, unintentional, but it worked well for the scene. It was perfect for the scene. So at this point, Maverick's in the air. The Admiral gets inside to talk to the ground crew that's handling the comms and everything to try and ground him, but he's going to run the test anyways. They want to try and get to Mach 9, and boy, do they succeed. And this would be the only part of the movie that I take any issue with in terms of realism, okay? They get that plane up to the speed that they were hoping for, and then some. And because Maverick is pushing it, we know that this isn't going to go well. And sure enough, they cut the scene right as we're seeing all of these alarms go off in the cockpit, suggesting that the speed at which he's currently traveling at is too fast for the plane's structural stability. And then we see a really pretty light show in the sky. And the thing about it is, we know that Maverick ejected. Obviously, if he didn't, there wouldn't be a movie for us to be enjoying. Right. But I also had to stop and go, wait a minute. 
he was traveling at past Mach 10. Mind you, Mach 10 is approximately 7,600 miles an hour. That is an insane speed at which to eject yourself from a moving object. Now, maybe somebody will chime in and let us know that it is feasible. It definitely seems a little far-fetched, especially since he does not seem to have any kind of protective gear that would help him at that speed at probably that altitude as well. He has his G-suit. That's it. And the G-suit is designed to do exactly that. Help with the help the body with the G's that it's experiencing at those higher speeds. I forgot I had actually found a tweet from Neil deGrasse Tyson about this, and I really appreciated the light that it shed on it. He tweeted, and quote, Late to the party here, but in this year's Top Gun movie, Tom Cruise's character Maverick ejects from a hypersonic plane at Mach 10.5 before it crashed. He survived with no injuries. At that speed, his body would splatter like a chainmail glove swatting a worm. Just saying. Unquote. <laughs> yeah. Always rely on Neil deGrasse Tyson to let us know how it should be. You know, he's there for us to give us the science when we need it. And I really appreciate that bit of knowledge because when he ejected, the very first thing I thought was, how? And I'm okay with it. For the sake of the entertainment, I'm 100% on board. It was a really fun scene, a really fun moment, and a nice opener to a really good movie. But it was the one part of the movie where I was like, everything else they did, they tried to make it as realistic as they could. And that was the one part where I was like, really? I'd agree with that. So when we get to the part where we discuss things that we would change, I might tap on that one a little bit. So we're back on the ground and Admiral Kane chews him out. Rightfully so. Yep. And he wants to ground him. He wants to kick him out. And yet again, his ass is saved and he has given his orders to return to Top Gun as an instructor. Yeah. And it's interesting because a very similar thing happened in the first one as well. Maverick ends up saving another pilot who was having a full on moment where they weren't sure he was going to be able to land the plane. and. Maverick gets in there, helps him out against orders. But when he gets to the ground and he ends up talking to his CEO, the CEO was ready to throw some disciplinary action at him, but ends up having to send him into the Navy's fighter weapons school in Miramar. Just like now, it's the same situation happening over again, where a CEO is getting ready to be like, you're grounded, you're done, and ends up being like, I wanted to, but just in the nick of time, you got other orders that are expected of you. So guess what? You're going to Top Gun again. It's such a shame. Yeah, you break orders and you get sent to sweet school to fly jets. Right. Terrible, terrible punishment. I feel it's just the worst. I know. What kind of rules do I have to break to get that kind of right? So this is the beginning of what becomes a relatively similar formula to the first movie. And I wanted to tap on that for just a second and say the formula of Top Gun was so well done to begin with that it made sense to do it again for a sequel. And that doesn't happen very often. When you try and take the formula of the original movie, typically the sequel ends up getting some sort of butchered treatment that doesn't allow it to flow the same way. And this time, y'all, they did it 
and they did it well. There are aspects of this that are almost identical to the original, and they still work today. It's insane. So Maverick heads to Miramar again for Top Gun and gets ready to train a whole group of fighter pilots, the best in the world, for a very, very impossible sounding mission. So we're back at Top Gun. We meet Vice Admiral Bo Simpson, a.k.a. Cyclone, played by the magnificent John Hamm. Just an excellent, excellent choice. He kind of gets to play a bit of an asshole character in this, which was interesting to see because I'm so used to John Hamm being in roles where he's just the most likable character. Although that is to say, I don't remember what his character was like on Mad Men. But either way, <laughs> I would take that to mean that you have probably not watched a lot of Mad Men. Not enough of it. And I feel like I should. I'm with you there. I've seen maybe an episode or two, like at the very start of the series, I believe, but I've not watched any more than that. And I will do that together. Really good. Yeah. Yes. I've heard that as well. But otherwise, yes, I've always enjoyed John Hamm. I mean, I enjoyed him in Baby Driver, I believe it was. I enjoyed him in an episode of Black Mirror. I enjoy him when he just kind of shows up for a little bit and then disappears. He's he's just got a great screen presence. So it's fun to watch. Agreed. And one of my favorites with him was actually Tag. Yes, he was amazing in Tag. Yes. And we're also introduced to Rear Admiral Solomon Bates, a.k.a. Warlock, played by Charles Parnell, who is also an awesome, awesome actor. Super excited to see him in it as well. And they break down the mission. They talk about what these elite pilots are going to have to endure. The urgent mission to stop a foreign country's unsanctioned uranium enrichment plant, which sounds pretty, pretty important to to take care of before it becomes a problem. It is. I mean, uranium enrichment means that they're going to be creating the uranium they need for nuclear weapons. So that's why they want to shut that down. And as one would expect from the movie, it is a essential suicide mission to destroy this factory before it gets up and running. There's got to be risks involved, right? Of course. And there's a time crunch. They've got three weeks for Maverick to train up a squadron, which at first he's all like, all right, this is going to be rough, but let me pick my pilots and I can do this. Only to then find out that no. He has to take a backseat and just train the people who are going to perform the mission. Yep. And then we're introduced to the new elite pilots, which includes a huge roster. I feel like I want to list them all off, but maybe I'll stick to key ones. I would say Phoenix, Bob. Always a Bob in a Tom Cruise movie, by the way. Always. Yeah. Which, real quickly, Bob, Lieutenant Robert Floyd, a.k.a. Bob, is played by Lewis Pullman. And when I realized that it was Lewis Pullman, I went, oh, my God, that's Bill Pullman's son. Yes. Bill Pullman being the awesome actor you see in Independence Day, Independence Day Resurgence. Or what? No. Oh. Resurgence. Wait, yeah. He was still in. He was in the second one. I thought he was dead by then. No. Like in real life? Yeah. He passed away. You're thinking of Bill Paxton. Oh, you're right. I'm thinking of Bill Paxton. Yeah, everybody does that, including myself. They're really the same. 
it's funny because Bill Pullman is somebody I really enjoyed in Independence Day. Obviously, he had one of the greatest speeches as a fake president that we've ever experienced. Correct. It was very inspiring. Bill Paxton is also in one of my all time favorite movies, Twister. Yes. So that's how those. Of which, just FYI, they are making a sequel to is what I've heard. Are you? Okay, we'll come back to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that at a later point. Yes. We'll do one of these on Twister. It's a great movie. It is. It's one of my favorites and apparently causes Twisters to show up every time I watch it. So hell yeah. Yeah. All right. All Let's right. Let's get back on track. Yes. The cast of the pilots in training is quite large. There's a few faces I recognize and a few that I didn't, but they all performed admirably. And from the minute they show on, from the minute they show up on screen, the level of testosterone and ego in the room is just ridiculous. Right. We meet them in the bar Maverick goes to, and they're all grabbing drinks, playing some pool. And you can just tell that all of them are pretty full of themselves, with the exception of Phoenix. Phoenix doesn't really come off super ego heavy, and neither does Bob. Bob actually kind of gives you this (laughs) nerd vibe. Bob is a huge nerd who just is one of those guys that you don't even realize there until he's like, hey, what's up? I really related well with Bob. Don't we all? (laughs) So we get an introduction to all these amazing top elite pilots. And then Rooster walks through the door. And that is Lieutenant Bradley Bradshaw, the son of goose and as you know if you've seen the first movie goose was maverick's co-pilot goose is maverick's rio in the first top gun and unfortunately we know that due to an accident involving a jet stream causing a flat spin goose doesn't make it and it's tragic heartbreaking And when Maverick sees Rooster for the first time, he kind of has a relapse of all of those memories, feels the pain that he felt in the beginning with the loss of Goose. But Rooster looks like he's been doing well. He's one of the top pilots. And Maverick still carries Goose. You realize that from the very start of the film, when he's in the Dark Star asking Goose to talk to him, like it's he still very much carries the weight of his death with him. With that reintroduction to Rooster and seeing him and experiencing those emotions again, a lot of that ended up being triggered by the fact that he played Great Balls of Fire on the piano and the entire bar got in on it and started singing along with him. So it was a very touching but also sad recap of the first movie. And then it jumps right into it. We're at Top Gun. They introduce Maverick as the new instructor. Hangman is the super cocky fighter pilot there that just thinks he's hot shit and gives Rooster a hard time and criticizes his caution because he thinks too much. They have this whole tension throughout the movie up until the end as these stories typically unfold. And the pilots get to see how Maverick is as a fighter pilot and maverick never lost his touch he is the embodiment of an elite pilot correct maverick essentially is mopping the floor with 
which is amusing because the very first go, they make a bet with Maverick that they'll take him down and whoever loses has to do 200 push-ups. Yep. And there are just repeated clips of everyone having to do these push-ups. They could not keep up. And it's one of those times in a storyline where they anticipated that the audience, although they see these new elite youngsters ready to take on Maverick, they know that the audience still wants to root for Maverick. So they made this whole moment pretty straightforward that Maverick was going to win every single time. There was a moment where the intensity dialed it up a bit and you were like worried for a second, but then Maverick pulls out some of his tricks and he does a full stop and then re-engages after the other pilot had passed by and takes him out. And just, it's a whole mess of this repeated process and Maverick's just like, you guys... We'll get there eventually, but you're not there yet. And truthfully, the way the movie plays out, the way the story plays out, they almost never seem to until the very end, because we do this segment and no one can ever take out Maverick. And then the timeline keeps ticking away. There's events that cause it to speed ahead. And then we have to rush into the next segment of the training with no one having been able to take out Maverick at the first. Yep. And so then they give us a little bit of a cut between we get introduced to the love interest where that was a bit of a story arc that throughout it as they revealed more to do with Penny, it seemed kind of second thought. They put the love interest in there as something to add a little story, but at the same time, just drive some of the plot points that had to do with what kind of happened with rooster we learn after being introduced to penny and them kind of rekindling their relationship a bit that the reason there's some tension between maverick and rooster that doesn't necessarily have to do with the passing of his father is that maverick actually prevented rooster from being able to join the navy for a whole four years when he had initially tried his papers got blocked when he applied to the Naval Academy and it set back his whole career. And it was because Maverick kept a promise to Rooster's mother to do that, to keep him from joining because she didn't want the possibility of the same fate that goose experienced to happen to her son. But we also learned that she's passed away too. And so Rooster's actually pretty much on his own at this point, family-wise, it seems. And then they flash us forward to Maverick meeting with Iceman, who is, in fact, still around. And he is now a full-blown admiral. And we also learn that he is dealing with a throat cancer that seems to be taking over and that Iceman is not long for the world. which. I appreciated this little touch of story because they they got Val Kilmer back in and it was amazing to see Val Kilmer back on the screen. But it was also kind of sad to see what has actually been a big battle for Val in real life. At least the fate in the movie is not the fate that he has experienced for real. 
because right. we still have Val, although it sounds like he's no longer able to speak anymore. No, and I think he's lost that for a number of years at this point. And it was interesting to see them use his real-life affliction in the movie, and I thought he brought a great presence to the screen, and it was just kind of saddening to see it as well, knowing he's going through this. Agreed. So we learn with Maverick and Iceman that Iceman is the reason Mav is at Top Gun, that he's training these kids, that he wants Maverick to reconcile with Rooster and train him so that he can survive and be the best damn pilot there is. He's also encouraging, like he's trying to get Maverick to truly move on with his life, trying to get him to let go. Yeah. And so after Maverick meets with Iceman, a few days later, the cancer takes him. And unfortunately, Iceman is gone. They attend his funeral, Maverick, along with the other pilots. And we get to experience that transition of Iceman no longer being a part of this anymore. And now it throws a big wrench into everything that's been going on because Iceman was the reason Maverick was where he was and doing what he was doing. And because he's now gone, Cyclone, a.k.a. Admiral Bo Simpson, decides he's in control now. He gets to make the calls and removes Maverick as mission trainer, setting new parameters that are going to be less risky on the approach. But Maverick's like, no, this isn't right. You shouldn't step in here. And so in true Maverick format, he hops in a plane and runs the simulated course and nails it. And so Cyclone's like, fine, I guess you're going to have to be strike leader. Yeah, it's at this point that Tom Cruise becomes the hero of the film, the true protagonist. Yep. And they gear up for the mission. They choose pairs. And this is where things definitely went in a direction that I didn't anticipate. They get in there. They fly the mission. It's a wild success with lots and lots of just nicely hidden Star Wars overtones. I'm just, I'm a, I don't care. I'm going to say it. They basically had this whole thing feeling like the Death Star run at the end of. It, it was a trend for yeah. yeah, it really was. Because at the second go, when they were supposed to follow up with the second set of missiles, they're like, I can't lock on target. Well, better use the force rooster. Sure enough, <laughs> he does. <laughs> Nails it. Nails it. And so the mission is a success. However, leaving the area, they have to deal with a bunch of anti-aircraft missiles being launched at them. They're being bombarded to the point of where they're chucking flares. They're doing all their countermeasures. They're trying to make sure that they get out of there. But in the end, Maverick comes in to save Rooster from a very fatal looking shot, manages to do so by taking the hit himself. His plane doesn't explode, but he's now ejected and on the ground. While Rooster has his moment of being very maverick and like, I can't leave this man behind and defies orders and goes back and takes out the helicopter that's going to try and take out Maverick on the ground when this helicopter kind of randomly finds him. And then Rooster, unfortunately, gets shot down, too. 
And that's why this was like a total turn, because I kind of expected that this mission was going to be the end of the movie, but it ends up being the beginning of the second part of this whole mission where Maverick and Rooster end up managing to find each other on the ground after Rooster ejects from his plane. And then (laughs) they have this great moment of, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. And then Maverick just right after Rooster gets back up, just shoves him back to the ground. What the hell was that? And they go into this whole back and forth that ultimately ends up with them deciding to figure out how to get back to the carrier. And they do this little secret run where they go back to the airbase that they had destroyed on the way in and steal a very early aircraft that belonged to them to begin with. They steal an F-14 Tomcat, which was one of my favorite planes as a kid to take back to the carrier. And this whole dogfight ensues and they manage to get back there right as they're about to get there. They look like they're about to get taken out by a bandit, but in true form for an intense moment like this, somebody comes to save the day at the last second. And sure enough, there's Hangman finally up in the air because he wasn't one of the ones that Maverick chose for the mission. He was on standby on the carrier the whole time. But Hangman arrives just in time to shoot down the Su-57, and they all get back on the carrier. There's a big old celebration, and Maverick and Rooster reconcile, and it's wonderful. It's a honestly great ending to a great movie. They wrap things up very nice and neatly. Cyclone, Admiral Cyclone's like, damn it, Maverick, as much as I didn't want to like you, you're a damn good pilot. I (laughs) relent. Warlock in the background is my hero. He's sitting there fist pumping like, yeah, Maverick, you're the shit. You know, he's super pumped the whole time. And it made it so much better because on one hand, you got the rear admiral that's rooting for him. And on the other end, you've got the vice admiral that's like, you're just a thorn in my side. So they wrap things up and you get to see them sail off in a P-51 Mustang where they were rebuilding and goof around and then they show rooster walking into a room where there's a photo of maverick with goose and maverick with rooster and it's a beautiful moment and then credits had a very satisfying conclusion to it tied up everything in a nice bow and set everyone on their journey for the next stage in life it was fitting and frankly i feel like this was a very feel good kind of movie which is what i would expect out of it it's what the first one did and it definitely drove a lot of people to join the navy and become pilots and serve and all that this one definitely continued to carry that torch it, and it worked i mean if i was 10 years younger maybe i'd be joining up well, who knows it was one of the first things that i had asked my folks about because they watched it with me and they said that during that era of the original Top Gun, there was a record number of enlistments that had happened after that movie Correct. because everybody wanted to try and be a fighter pilot. The thing is, that's a very prestigious role in the military, from what I understand, that you've got to have some very specific criteria in order to be able to get in there and do that. But at this point, let's talk about what we would have done differently. Let's get into it. So what do you have for us? Oh, you're going to start with me. I'll start with you this time. All right. Make you fire first and then I'll fire back. All right. Sounds good. For me, 
the main plot points that I would be interested in reworking, kind of changing up, would be the love interest for starters. I felt that the whole love arc of the story with Penny and Maverick was lackluster. It didn't have as much as I would have hoped for in terms of if if Pete was going to be involved, then it needed to not be this kind of ad hoc. We're really only pressing the story forward by having some revisiting aspects of what happened in the original movie, because Penny is an ex-girlfriend and apparently they've had their flings together and been broken up multiple times. And so she she knows Maverick's history. But when it came down to it, that's really what that whole plot point served was furthering some of the commitment to Maverick getting over his past. And it goes so far as to like, at one point, they have their love scene. And then he is, for lack of a better word, escapes out of the house by going out the window of the bedroom and dropping down to the first floor. Well, of course, the daughter is standing right there in the kitchen, looking out the window, sees Maverick hit the ground and just stares at him and then tells him to not break his mother's heart. And that's kind of it for that. We do see Penny again later, but it's just all of this is in passing. And so it wraps up the story with Maverick seeing Penny again and knowing that they're kind of making it work but there just wasn't a lot going on with it and the runtime for Maverick is two hours and ten minutes so they made it longer than the original but I felt like the love story between Maverick and Carol in the first one had a little bit more ground than it did with Penny in the second one so that would be point number one the other aspect that I would like to elaborate on and change a little bit would be the interactions between Rooster and Maverick when it came to sorting things out and creating that reconciliation. I do think that there would have been some merit to some dialogue that involved telling him that his mother was looking out for him when he was younger, worried about the possibility of a similar fate occurring to Goose to Rooster, and that she asked Maverick Like, I think Maverick should have told Rooster what had gone on there. And that way there could have been a better bonding between the two of them. As far as just straight up changing any elements of the movie, I would have thought of a different way to introduce things. I really, really like the Dark Star introduction, but I would have figured out a way to keep the realism intact. Like, maybe bring the ship back down, maybe bring the plane back down and not have it be totally destroyed, something that would have made a little more sense with respect to the realism of it. But beyond that, I do think that Top Gun was pretty well-rounded. I don't know that there necessarily needed to be a lot of rework in the story, but what do you got? What do you think? So I've got a couple, I've got a couple different things. The first one is I actually, I liked the, romance between Penny and Maverick, but I agree that there are certain elements. For me, I think I would have elaborated a little bit more. So at the end of the first Top Gun, Maverick and Charlie, the love interest of that movie, ride off together. This never addresses it. And I think the intention is that 
he's so tied to his job. That's probably why they didn't end up together, but it may have been nice to get a little bit more on the nose with that because it shows that Maverick is just engrossed in doing this and being active in the pilot seat, always in control, not willing to move past that. He's not willing to continue to advance along the career track in the Navy, which would eventually lead to retirement and a desk job. That's part of Iceman's whole, he needs to let go. I think they could have done a little bit more there. I would have tried to do a little bit more there, really. I would have added a little one-off line, and it would have made sense then for the developing relationship. Because to me, I would have tried to show that he's growing, willing to take a step back, willing to settle down, so to speak. Okay. And then the other part of that comes later. So for me, the big part is it never feels like he learns to let go ever because as usual, he takes control and eventually leads the mission by showing off. I would have kept that little aspect where he jumps in the plane, shows that it is possible, but then would have had him still not step into mission lead. He would have designated Hangman or he would have designated rooster to take control while he commanded the mission from the ship i agree that actually makes a lot of sense to not have maverick step into the strike leader position and to maintain a more commanding officer position to show that he's a to show that he's evolved as a individual because they do touch on the fact that throughout the whole movie he's just a captain and he never went beyond captain he's a very very distinguished captain very decorated, but he never went past that rank and he did so for a reason. And they even call him out at one point as you should have been an admiral by now, but he never allowed that to happen. And so he never really changed. And therein, I agree with you that to have him finally let go like Iceman wanted him to would have been a more well-rounded conclusion. Correct. And you could have kept some of the ending with the on-ground action by having him jump into a plane as things are going bad to try and help out and then still takes a hit for Rooster going down, having Rooster go down to join him and that whole adventure. I think that could have still worked for me. That's probably how I would have tried to go. That way we get good character girlfriend. We get to see him let go and evolve but still get to see him be a badass in a plane, helping out, leading the way. Now that you mention it, I think on the flip, it would have been interesting if, as you said, Mav stayed on the ship and was the CO for the mission. And then Hangman actually got to show what he could offer while putting his ego aside by actually taking Maverick's place in what happened in the movie, where Maverick actually comes in to save Rooster but ends up getting shot down, but makes it out. And then having Rooster and Hangman be bond and become a better pairing than they were before because of how they had the animosity between them. And then them doing the whole Rooster may take on what Maverick had originally been as far as the brains of being like, we're going to steal a plane. And then having the two of them go through that same thing together and have them take on the mantle and show that Maverick at that point had grown. And maybe Maverick was the one that ends up coming in to save Rooster and Hangman in the very last second when everything seemed like it was about to 
become a sad moment, but instead we get the same happy ending just from a new era of pilots. I like it. And I think it could definitely work. It would require another scene that you mentioned in your change in that Rooster and Maverick would need to hash out kind of what had happened with them. I think the on-ground scene with Maverick and Rooster does that for the film, showing them work through their issues. But if we change it and have it be Rooster and Hangman together on the ground, you add that little extra scene and then it still wraps up the same one. I think that would have been excellent. Yeah. Or even Rooster and Phoenix. But I mean, we could spin these off in any different way we want, you know? Fair enough. But I think, honestly, a Rooster and Hangman would actually work pretty well and kind of bring them together. But I do think Hangman coming in at the end to lend that little extra help as Rooster and Maverick take the F-14 in does do that. But putting them on the ground together does it a little bit differently. And I think it would have been fun to see that play out. Agreed. All right. I think that kind of covers everything I had to say about Top Gun Maverick. How about you? I think that covers it for me as well. All right. Excellent movie. It is still in theaters, although very sparsely available. If you want to see it, you better get to the theater soon if you want to see it in its full spectacular glory. However, I highly recommend that, by the way. You should definitely see this in theaters. Yeah. Or the biggest TV you can possibly afford. (laughs) And... With that being said, it should be available on streaming here very soon in the next month or so. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining us this week on We're Too Literary. I've been your host, Kenny. And I've been John. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it may be, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. That way you'll know when the next episode drops. We've been releasing these on a weekly basis, so if you hit that button, you'll be one of the first to know. We've also got our website up and running, weirdtoliterary.com. It's looking a little basic at the moment, but we're working on it, hoping to have it looking real sharp and clean soon, so stay tuned for that. We also have our email going now as well, feedback at weirdtoliterary.com. Drop us a note. Let us know what you think of the show so far. Let us know what you might like to see from us or how we could improve. We're very open to hearing how we can make this one of the best shows we can. So drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time. See you then.